sorry to say I have some bad news uh, for you this morning, and that is that your God is too small. Your God is too small. My God is too small. When uh, it was announced that we were going to be doing this teaching series this summer where teachers would get to share a little bit of the things that help us as teachers to grow in our relationship with Christ, to walk as followers, faithful followers of His, right away I knew what I wanted to talk about because as I look at my life, I realize that those times when I am most afraid or insecure or uncertain about the future, the problem comes from the fact that my God has become too small. I loved the, the songs that we just sang. I hope you were thinking about those words as we sang them. You know, name above all names, worthy of all praise, my heart will sing, how great is our God. You, know, you have no rival, you have no equal. I believe that to the core of my being. Uh, but somehow, in the process of living, it's like my understanding of this huge, great, awesome being who is God just kind of shrinks down. And then I find myself in situations uh, where it seems like God maybe isn't big enough or powerful enough or care enough to do the things that I would desire for him to do in my life. So I want to talk a little bit this morning about what I do when I find myself in those kinds of situations, because maybe you find yourself in that kind of situation as well. It, it's really tough, isn't it, even to think about God. God is so different than anything else in our experience. There is nothing else like God. You know, we just said, you have no rival, you have no equal. There is nothing else like God. And so it's sort of natural then that we would want to compare God to other things or other people that we can kind of understand and sort of saying God is well, kind of like that, right? So in the Old Testament, that became a huge problem for the Israelites, God's chosen people, because they found themselves being suckered into thinking that God was like the pagan gods, the idol gods that were worshipped by the nations around them. And, and that is so far from the truth that God actually, can I say that God gets a little sarcastic? It seems to me like God gets a little sarcastic when he talks about this. I mean, it, when you think about it, it is so stupid. And, and there are some places where uh, that kind of idol worship is described. Let me just read one. This, I just love this. I chuckle every time I read it. This is Isaiah chapter 40, verses 19 and 20. So he says, as for an idol, a metal worker cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. So I guess they're saying, you know, I mean, if this is going to be your God, this is going to who you're worshiping, you're going to pray to, spend a little money on it. Come on, it's worth it. Shell out some bucks here to get a, you know, kind of a nice idol if you're going to have it there. This is well, a person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. I hate that. I hate it when you get your idol, you don't really have enough money, but you get some treated wood anyway, you know, and you carve out your idol and you put it on the shelf, and a year later when, you, when you're praying, you realize, oh, look at that, he's rotting, you know. <laughs> don't you hate it when your God rots? That just sort of loses all the power or something. 
so they look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Now, that's the other thing. I just hate it when my God just falls over on his face, you know? <laughs> and so you have to go in and kind of shimmy it up on one side to get it to stay straight, check and make sure he's not rotting, right? you know? God says, I, I, do you honestly think that I'm like that? So God, in, in the Bible, gives us some better illustrations of what he is like, and they are, they are some beautiful things. For instance, God says, okay, think of me kind of like this. I'm, I'm like a shepherd. Now, that may not mean a lot to us today, but in biblical times, when a lot of people were shepherds and everybody knew somebody who was a shepherd, that could have, could have taught some important things about God. This is, again, from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. It says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Now, that's that's kind of neat, isn't it, to think about God that way? We, you probably don't know any shepherds. I, I think we don't have any shepherds here in Orchard Hill. Actually, the first church where Sally and I served in Denver, Colorado, we had a, a lady in the church, Beatrahio, who had grown up in a family of shepherds. And, and she had really interesting stories to tell about being a shepherd. And they were mostly about how dumb sheep are. <laughs> but they just can't do anything for themselves. Without the shepherd, they would, they would die. You know? And so for people in biblical times especially, that, was, that could be a powerful image. And the, the Old Testament is filled with images like that of God. Same thing when we get into the New Testament. Um, God says, okay... Think about, think about me like this. Think about me like a father. Isaiah 63 says this, But you are our father. Though Abraham does not know us or Israel acknowledge us, you, Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from old is your name. Now, if you've had a good father, um, that could be a really great image, couldn't it? I was, I was blessed to have had a, a father who, who had become a Christian shortly before I was born. He was not a perfect man. He was not a perfect father. But there's so much about my dad that I really love and admire that to carry that image over to God and think about God that way, that's, that's powerful for me. Maybe you didn't know your father. Maybe your father was a real jerk, you know, and maybe this helps you sort of in the other way, saying, you know, I'm glad God is my father, not like, not like my earthly father was. And so we find in the Bible God trying to help us understand what he's like, even though he's really like nothing else. You know, God is, God is like a king, God is like a builder. God is like a rock. God is like a husband. You know? And all of those images help us to understand a God who really is like nothing else. And the problem comes when this, this picture of God that we have uh, really limits God. We begin to think that God is like a father who is limited. You know, God is like a king who maybe is not all-powerful. And so God wants us to move beyond just that kind of image. God says, you know, who, who will you compare me to? Who is my equal? There is nothing else. So I find when, when I'm struggling with something that I, that I wish God could help me with, 
I find that I need to kind of stretch my understanding of God, try to get a little closer to seeing him and understanding him as he really is. And I think for me at least, that takes place in three areas. And the first one is God's power. Is God really powerful enough to do the thing that I would desire for him to do? I want to read you a passage. Uh, This is from the New Testament. This is about Jesus. And you remember Jesus' friend Lazarus died. And so Jesus was not there when he died. A few days later he comes and Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, are there. And Jesus speaks to Martha, one of the sisters. And this takes place in John chapter 11. Let me read you what it says. So it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, what's wrong with that thinking? I mean, obviously, Martha had, had heard stories about the people that Jesus had healed, Maybe she had even witnessed some of those times when Jesus had given sight to the blind or, or healed a lame man or cleansed a leper and the great things that Jesus was able to do. And so her faith goes this far, this far. Her, her picture of God, of Jesus, is this big. If you had been here, you could have taken care of this illness. You could have cured my brother, healed him in the same way that I know you have done hundreds and hundreds of times for other people all throughout Israel if you had been here. But what's the problem with her thinking? Lazarus is dead now, and she obviously has no idea that Jesus is powerful enough to actually restore life to her brother. If you had been here when Lazarus was sick, you could have healed him, but... Now he's dead, it's over, there's nothing you can do about it. Well, we know that's not the case, right? Jesus does, in fact, restore Lazarus to life. Mary and Martha needed to expand their picture of God, and I often need to do that too. And the thing that helps me to do that the most is to think about the power of God in terms of creation, Creation, what God has made, is one of those pathways that really leads me deep into my understanding of who God is. Maybe that would help for you as well, to think about God that way. Let's think for just a moment of sort of about the history of our understanding of the universe. So back like in biblical times, you know, people would look up at the stars in the night sky, and it would seem to them like that's, all, that's it, that's what the universe is. Today, if you go out and look at the stars, you can see about 2,000 stars in the sky at night, they say. In biblical times, maybe 10 times that many stars. But that's all there was, just those stars that they saw in the sky. And it was this huge step forward when they realized, came to understand, that all of those stars that we see are all part of a big clump of stars called a galaxy. And ours is called the Milky Way Galaxy. And it's this big cluster of stars containing about 300 billion stars. And imagine how our awe and wonder at God who created this when we came to understand that the universe has this galaxy of 300 billion stars 
It blows my mind to think about a God who could create that. And then the next step happened. Take a look at this picture. This has been described as the most important picture ever taken by humanity. It's called deep space. And it's a picture of the night sky. And you may wonder how much of the sky that contains. And it's been described to me this way. If you take a drinking straw that's eight feet long, and you hold it out and you put it up to your eye, eight feet long, that little bit of night sky that you would be able to see, that's how much is in this picture. And every one of those dots of light is not a star, it's a galaxy. And in the, in the observable universe, we found 200 billion galaxies, 200 billion galaxies, like our galaxy, the Milky Way with its 300 billion stars. Imagine galaxies like that in infinite space, billions and billions of them. And I just read a few weeks ago, now they, ha they have seen what so far is the biggest galaxy they've ever found. It's about 212 million miles away, and it is so big. You know, a light year is the distance that light travels in a year, which is about 6 trillion miles. And to go across this galaxy, traveling at, at 6 trillion miles a year, it would take you 522,000 miles to cross that galaxy from one spiral arm to another. Six trillion miles every year for 522,000 years just to cross that one galaxy. And here we see a little glimpse of the 200 billion galaxies in the observable universe. What kind of God is this? What kind of a being could create the universe as we're just beginning to understand and glimpse how awesome, how huge it is? Isaiah chapter 40 says this, lift up your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Do I honestly believe that some problem I have in my life is too great for the God who created 200 billion galaxies of hundreds of billions of stars each? Do I honestly think that anything in my life is so out of control that the God of the universe can't handle it? God is a God of infinite, infinite power. And I get into trouble when I kind of shrink him down and compare his power to, to other things. I recently became aware of this in a, in a deep way. Two men whom I, I love dearly were both diagnosed with cancer at about the same time. One of them had a little spot of cancer in his colon. The other had cancer that had metastasized throughout his whole body. And I love those guys, and I prayed for them regularly and, and passionately. 
And I found it was really easy for me to pray for and to believe that God could heal the one who has this little spot of cancer, you know. But to pray that God could heal, that God could handle the cancer that had spread throughout my, my friend's body, see, I found out like I was, I was thinking of God like a human doctor, you know. The one doctor who would say, yeah, we can handle that pretty easily. The other one, the doctor would say, well, there's maybe nothing we can do. You know, It's beyond our power, beyond our ability. And I was thinking that God is like that. And when I get into those situations, I just have to kind of stop for a minute and say, all right, what do I really believe about God? I believe in this God who is so great and so powerful, and I need to go out, and I need to do what, this, what Isaiah said to do. Lift up your eyes. Look at the starry host. Who created all these? A God of infinite and awesome and amazing power. The other area where I find myself shrinking God down is in terms of God's personal attention to me. It's not just that God is powerful, does God really know me? I mean, if we're really thinking that this God who controls the universe, who puts the stars in place, who, as the Bible says, you know, knows each of their names, do I believe that that God knows me? In one of these 200 billion galaxies and 300 billion stars in the Milky Way and this one star and this one little planet going around it, that God knows me? So now we've got like, I think, 7.7 billion people in the world. I mean, even if God somehow knew about our planet, planet Earth, you know, out of all those people, does God single out me? Does he know me? And you know when, that, when it hits me the most, when I have the most, most trouble with that is when I'm praying. Because I think... Well, you know, this is just sort of a, a random guess, but let's say at any moment there are 100,000 people praying to God. I don't know. You know, maybe there are 200,000, maybe there are 1,000. I don't know, but let's, let's say 100,000 people at any moment when I'm praying to God are also praying to God. Now, see, I, I'm not good at multitasking. I can sort of do one thing at a time. I can't watch television and listen to Sally both at the same time. As Sally is quick to point out, you know, and I think about God like that, so I shrink him down so he's sort of like a human, and maybe God can do a few things at a time, but, you know, he's not a great multitasker either, probably. It's sort of like God would have to say, so all these hundreds of thousands of people are praying to him, and it's just coming at God, all these requests and things going on, and it's like, I picture God would have to say, all right, wait a minute, all of you, shut up for a minute. I want to hear what Ed has to say here, you know? Like, my God has become so small that he can't handle, you know, all these people. The Bible says that's not true at all. That as amazing, as almost unbelievable as it is, that God is able to focus his attention squarely on you. One of my favorite psalms in the Bible is Psalm 139 that describes that personal knowledge and attention that God gives to you. Let me read you a few of these first verses from Psalm 139. It says, you've searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. 
You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. It's not just that God is aware that you're one of these 7.7 billion people. God knows you intimately. God knew you before you were born. The Bible says God knew you and had a plan for your life when you were still being formed in your mother's womb. God knows when you get up and when you lie down. It's not just that God hears my prayer. The Bible says God knows the words I'm going to say before they're on my tongue. God is more anxious to answer my prayers than I am even to pray them. God knows me better than anybody else could ever know me. For me to hold those two ideas together is hard, but I, I try to do it. That God is this amazing, powerful God of the universe, and yet God focuses on me. He knows me. Not only is God a God of power and a God of personal attention, but I believe that God is a God of proven love for me. It's not just enough that God be powerful enough to do anything. It's not just enough that God is aware of me. But I've got to believe that God cares about me, that he loves me. And sometimes there too, it can get really tough because of what I just read in Psalms. God knows me. That means he knows my dark side. He knows my evil thoughts. He knows my pride and ego. He knows my insecurity. He knows my jealousy. He knows my rage and anger. All of those things are known to God. Can I honestly believe that a being who really knows me, who rips me open and sees what's going on in the inside, could love me and care about me? And the answer is yes, he can. Again, let me read you what God says in his word. This is from Romans chapter 5. Paul is writing, and he says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for, what's that next word? Christ died for the ungodly. See, that's me. That's you he's talking about. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will someone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God knows I'm an ungodly person. God knows I'm a sinner, and yet he loves me. And he proved that love God knew that there was going to come a time when I was going to doubt it, when I was going to have trouble believing God really loved me. And so God said, I'm going to prove it to you. And he sent his only son, his perfect son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And in my mind, I need to picture that Jesus on the cross was for me. It was for my sin and my failure so that this God of creation, the God of the universe, who looks at me with love could forgive me and bring me into his family and reveal to me his plan for, his, for my life and walk beside me every day. So I wonder if maybe for you, sometimes God gets too small. I wonder if there are times, maybe even today, when you're struggling with uncertainty or fear about the future 
or worries about your life, maybe what you could do is the kind of the process that I go through to think again about what have you lost in your understanding of this great God. You know? Maybe you need to go out tonight and look at the stars of the heavens. Maybe you need to read again in the Gospels the account of the death of Jesus Christ for you and realize that no matter how big, how giant your, your understanding and your picture of God ever becomes, it will never be big enough. Our God is a great God, a great God. Let's pray. Lord God, I confess to you what's true for me and probably for a lot of us, um, that it's hard for us to understand what you're like and so too often we kind of shrink you down into to a size that's, that's manageable, that we can put in our pocket and take with us. We lose that sense of your power and your, your glory and your majesty and your personal love for us and the extent to which you would go for each of us to save us and redeem us. I would pray that today and whenever we find ourselves filled with doubts and uncertainties and fears, that we remind ourselves of what a great God you are. Amen. We're going to wind up this teaching this morning by actually trying to expand our understanding our picture of God a little bit. So I would ask you to join with me as I share with you these verses from Isaiah and Psalms and Job. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I consider the heavens, the, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? To whom will you compare me? And who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and the breadth of his hand has marked off the heavens. He's held the dust of the earth in a basket and weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord, mighty in power. His understanding has no limits. Before the mountains were born or, or you brought forth the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. 
for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Oh, Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. You wrap yourself in light as with a garment. You make the clouds your chariot and you ride on the wings of the wind. Praise the Lord. Praise Him from the heavens. Praise Him from the heights above. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord.